don't have to do anything, and even if we could, it wouldn't really do anything for us. We thank you for your grace and mercy that you gave us at the cross, but also your grace and your mercy in the fact that you rose again and are currently uh, sitting by the Father, interceding for us, pleading for us, and also waiting for us as we wait to be joined to you. I pray this morning that we would um, open our hearts uh, in worship through song and giving and also a time in the word together. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome to Maranatha. Uh, Take some time this morning to greet those around you. Well, good morning. Welcome to Maranatha. We're glad you're here worshiping together with us. We have a few announcements that we want to let you know about uh, before our time in the Word this morning. Uh, Operation Christmas Child. You know, Christmas is not that far away. And uh, snow is not that far away. <laughs> that's, oh, that's so sad. Um, Uh, Operation Christmas Child, uh, on September 21st, uh, we need some helpers to help pack some pencil cases that we put in the boxes that we ship out. So if you're interested in doing that, uh, you can meet uh, here Thursday, September 21st from 5 to 8 p.m. That'll be a great time of fellowship uh, in service to... uh, to, um, those around the world in an effort for them to hear the gospel. Uh, Our women's retreat is coming up October 13th at Arrowhead. It'll be a great weekend um, uh, for our women. Uh, Time in the Word, uh, time just enjoying uh, being with each other. And uh, that, again, starts October 13th. And the deadline to sign up is at the end of this month, September 30th. Uh, So uh, if you're interested in that, I believe there's a sign-up sheet at the desk or you can talk to to myself or uh, call the church office this week. Uh, See You at the Poll is Wednesday, September 27th at 7 a.m., obviously, at the poll. So uh, I encourage you this year to uh, go to uh, whatever your local high school is and to pray with the students there, uh, just taking maybe a half an hour to uh, pray for uh, each of the schools in the area. I know Pastor Tony gets... Uh, if you if you go where Pastor Tony is, on occasion he's been known to get hot chocolate and donuts. So uh, that's September 27th. Um, and then uh, the Youth Fall Fling at Camp Shamanaw is for uh, students from middle school uh, up into senior high. And uh, the uh, deadline to register for that is September 20th. So if you're interested in that, you can go. Uh, there's information on our website. There should be information in your bulletin. Uh, or uh, shoot Pastor Tony an email, and he'll uh, get back to you as soon as he can. Now I'll invite Pastor Cody to come up and share the word with us. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be together here and worship the Lord. Amen. 
So when I was just out of grad school, my friend and I started compiling lists, lists of things we think are the greatest. And they became, at first we thought they'd be top 10 lists, but we started with a movie list and that became the top 100 movies. And with that, last night I was thinking, man, I've got a lot of top 10. Top 10 movies, depending on the different types of genre. Western, I probably only got three, but then it was action. I've got a bunch of them and all these things. I've got top 10 lists for movies, top 10 for my top 10 80s songs, top 10 states, pretty much the Midwest, top 10 guns. Yeah, I've got a list even of that. Top 10 books to read. In fact, what I'm going to do next week, I'm going to try to compile a bunch of this and have a sheet by the welcome desk so you can go, oh, these are the books maybe I should read. I do. I do have a list of these are the top 10 books as Christians. I, I consider these are the top 10 books every Christian should read. Top 10 worship songs. In fact, last Sunday when we got back from church, I think it was last Sunday, um, we, I started, I was working on something on my computer or maybe someone was playing a song, oh, play this song, play this song. And it was these great classic song, Christian's classics from the 80s that we don't hear anymore. Ones by Keith Green and Steve Camp and other songs. So I've got top 10 worship songs. I even have, my friend and I were thinking, well, this sounds weird, but top 10 preachers or theologians I love. In fact, on that list, everyone's dead. Sounds weird, sounds you know, bizarre, macabre, but I'm like, I want to know how they finish. Because we live in a culture that's kind of, I think we live in, our American Christian culture is, is messed up sometimes. We love to glorify popular preachers who always don't end well. Heck, they, they get in trouble, they, they get kicked out of church, and then they end up going down south and starting other churches, and I don't know why people keep following them, but, but my top ten pastors, and, or theologians, and a lot of them start with John, John Owen, Jonathan Edwards, anyways, but I'll give you that list. But today, we're going to look at one of my top ten favorite verses. Again, I say this often, I'm an evangelical preacher, so that means to me every verse in the Bible, I love it. If I didn't, I'd be in trouble. I don't, you know, I don't know, I'd have to just go to maybe a liberal church or something. Just kidding, just kidding. Um, but I love every book of the Bible, I love every chapter, but I do have my top favorite Old Testament books, New Testament books, but this is in my top 10 favorite verses. So I even struggled through this. I was like, man, we should do a 10-week series on this, but no, we're going to cram it all in one sermon here. This is a key passage, and, and it's going to be like school today. I even thought about maybe getting paper to everyone, pencil everyone, but the notes will be online, and if you want to take notes on your phone or whatever you want to do, there is probably a pencil in front of you. We maybe got some paper, write some stuff down. We're going to study today. This is a very key verse to me. And what I find is everything is in the positive, not the negative. Sometimes you have to correct people using the negative, but most of the time Scripture uses the positive to help people live a correct life. Let me give you my example here, then we'll pray. There are two ways, let's say, you want to have someone eat properly, eat well so they don't get sick, and I'll use steak as an example and uh, yeah, so let's say you want to convince people not to eat bad steak. 
okay? Don't eat, let's say you take a chunk of steak, put it outside for a couple of weeks, keep moisture on it, and it just gets rancid and green and things keep crawling in it, you know, don't eat that. One way to help people eat healthy is to just bark and complain and go, don't do this. Look at that steak. Look at all those little worms. You know, this might get sorry about that. You know, don't eat that steak. It's gross. You know, you could get sick and you could show pictures of people getting sick. You know, the results of eating something like that. And just, yeah, green steak, green eggs and ham, don't do it. But there's another way of helping people. It's instead the positive. Cook them an amazing steak. And honestly, I still haven't found the art of cooking a great steak on the grill. I'm just, I don't know, I just can't, haven't got that yet. Maybe you got to sear it first and all these things. I don't know, I just throw it on there and we eat it. But cooking them an amazing, beautiful steak with the right amount of salt and spices with maybe a baked potato side and go, look at this. And often that's kind of how scripture does it with right living. Let me give you an example. When it comes to purity, if I'm hanging out, let's say, with a teenage boy who's struggling with purity, or any guy who struggles with purity, that's all of us, here's what I would rather do. Instead of going, you know, if you're not pure, a lot of things could happen, and just, you know, bark down this trail of, of all these things, which, which some of those are, are very true. And Scripture does give us those warnings. But most of the time, Scripture doesn't go to the negative, it goes to the positive. Instead, what I do is this. Listen, you follow a God who's redeemed you, saved you, forgiven you. Start on that path. And he's a God who's also holy, pure. He's called you to be holy. I've learned this from the, we call them the Puritans. Set your affection so on Christ on the positive, that there's no longer room for sin. Does that make sense? Look at the positive, not the negative. And today I find very interesting this verse is just full of the positive. So even though we're going to kind of like be at school, we're gonna, it's going to be some tough things to think about and learn, it's very positive as Scripture often presents. So join me in prayer as we get into this passage. Lord, I thank you for your word. It is faithful, it is true, it is Sharper than any two-edged sword. Sweeter than honey. Purer than gold. It is your word. And I thank you that we have the word. And Lord, I just on the side here, I pray for those who are in countries that don't have readily the word of God. I pray for the missionaries. I pray for the agencies getting the word of God to those people. May you strengthen Wycliffe missionaries as they go to remote areas who've never even had the word so we thank you for your word and i pray spirit of god that you do your work that you so faithfully do and that we would be willing to hear your word as we want to desire to be more like you and this i pray in your precious name jesus amen amen it's important to know that the saving work of god is more than just salvation and redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. God's saving work truly is that. It's the pardon of the sins. It's no longer am I headed to eternal damnation, but now I'm heaven bound. 
But we must know that the saving work is more than that. It's also the good news of God's purposes in Christ and His sovereign reign to renew the world and redeem history and fulfill His kingdom. It is also the good news that is at work in us to transform us to the image of Christ. That's why I've titled the book that we're going through, Philippians, our series that we're currently going through, Living for Christ. It's important to know that the cross right there that saved us and a transformed life, being more like Christ, cannot be separated. Okay? It cannot be separated. We must continue to be more and more like Christ. Those who have been forgiven and received grace are expected to live holy lives. And we, what we believe affects our lives. Let me say it again. What we believe affects our lives and our behavior. And ultimately, it should lead us to the worship of God. So here's what I wrote down. We live our daily lives where the gospel is central, applying the truth of the cross. And we do that to every part of our lives. Whether it's our job, whether it's our home life, whether it's how we raise our kids, whether it's our private thought life. Or as Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I'm saved by the gospel I've been transformed, and that must be evident in my life. Or to put it this way, the outward is reflected by the inward. The inward, we have this Christian faith. Now we have a Christian life that we are called to live, to be like Christ. Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ. Our doctrine, again, we want to be grounded in the Word. Paul's done this. He's like talking about there's false teachers. you got to know the truth. That's why we proclaim the truth and study the truth here at church. Doctrine leads to duty, and I should have put, and delight. I like putting that also. Duty and delight. When we study the Word, that leads to duty, right living and delight. Orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy. Or, the title of our sermon today, Right Thinking Leads to Right Doing. Right Thinking Leads to Right Doing. Alright, go to your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. 4 through 5, we, have these com- we are commanded to have joy. Joy is to characterize us in the midst of suffering. And gentleness that demonstrates humility towards others. 4 and 5. Chapter 4, 6 and 7 shows that how life's anxieties, they're real. They can be dissolved with prayer. Resulting in God's peace that protects us from the trials and temptations found in life. We must trust God. Lay our worries before the Lord. Now, verses 8 and 9 Show us we must think deeply and consider the virtues, the Christian virtues, and then act on them, allowing them to guide us in right living. So right thinking, verse 8, what we're going to look at, leads to right doing and right actions, verse 9. So let's take a look at Philippians 
chapter 4, 8 and 9. Again, this verse 8 is one of, in my top 10. And I thought about this last night. It was about midnight. And I'm like, oh, two of my favorite verses are in Philippians. Philippians 1.21 and Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul knew that our values and what we believed about and our thoughts, those determine our behaviors. The outward is reflected by the inward. Your attitudes and actions are a result of your core beliefs and what you value. So let's talk about right thinking. Verse 8. One of the main themes of this letter is the way to live for Christ is to have a correct mindset. He brings it up almost in every chapter. Be thinking this way. Have this in your mind. Understand this. Paul now gives us eight virtues to have a proper mindset that we must have it's interesting the first few are internal and the last ones deal with the external qualities how others perceive us so let's begin verse 8 finally brothers and sisters as we know we've talked about this and we'll talk about this in two and three weeks from now he's writing to his friends his dearly beloved friends and now he's kind of coming to some conclusions here and now he gives this list of eight virtues. And again, I say this all the time, get this book. All right? Mounts' Complete Expository Dictionary of Old and New Testament Words. When we do a study of God's Word, we want to know what those words mean. They typically aren't the English equivalent of what we think it is. Understand this, and this isn't just Mounts who came up with his own stuff. Back in the day when I was a kid, we had Vine's Dictionary. And remember Vine's Dictionary? The old one. That was one guy. Who, it was a good dictionary, but this, he relies on 800 scholars. And he boils it all down, so get this book. In fact, I'll put this book up here so you can come up and take a picture of it before you go. So we're going to go through a list of these eight virtues. It's kind of like school, so here we go. Whatever is true, truthful, worthy of credit, reliable in character. Biblically, this means living by a holy standard. Contra, or the opposite, would be falsehood, lies, or rumors. It means being sincere instead of being deceitful. Truth here is meant to be comprehensive. It, me, it begins first with Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. It begins with Christ. And truth stands on the reality of God and centers on the gospel. The truth is the gospel message. That's something we must stand on. When we are characterized as true... We discern what is the difference between what is real and what is false. We understand that. 
Truth is whatever conforms to the gospel and the revelation of God's will and his word. It's interesting, even when I study different religions, false religions in this world, or different thoughts that people have around the world, I compare it to Scripture. I wonder if it's true. I say, does it stand to what we know is true? But the problem is, today, people don't really believe in truth today. Truth is whatever conforms to objective reality. This is true thought about doing this but i didn't have an extra battery i thought about taking a battery from a car and putting it here and getting a drill because most batteries have that liquid in there right not the kind you know there's different types of batteries and i was going to drill a hole in it and pour it into a cup remember a couple maybe it was a month ago we had two guys come and drink something i was going to you know pour into a cup and go oh this looks really yummy let's drink it but it's acid Truth is whatever conforms to objective reality. Unfortunately, some people think that there's no objective, universal, moral truth today. That's, that's unfortunate. There is a truth, but today most people don't think that. Truth to them is whatever feels to them, which is subjectively, not objectively, whatever feels true to them and seems right to each person. So you can be like, oh, I could drill a hole in that battery, pour it into a cup, not a styrofoam cup because it would eat through the cup. Pour into a cup and go, this is acid. Don't drink it. Trust me, that's true. But nowadays, people don't believe in truth as objective reality. It's just subjective. Well, that's true to you, Pastor Cody, but that looks like Kool-Aid to me. Let me drink it. And I'd be like, no, you know, we'd have a big fight or something, wrestle them down. Don't do it. Unfortunately, people don't believe in truth. There is a truth ultimately begins again with Christ and the gospel. Paul's encouragement is that we are to think and meditate on what is true in regard to God, in regard to the world, in regard to sin, and in regard to our relationships at work, our neighbors, our acts of service, our private thinking and life. We'll talk more about that at the end here. The next word, Whatever is noble, honorable, majestic, dignified. Whatever is honest, worthy. That which suggests respect. Contra, vulgar, crude, trivial. It's interesting, again, I think in our culture, we're getting away from this word noble. We're getting away from the word respect we're getting away from the word dignified when i was a kid we had a president jimmy carter anybody alive during that time how many of you voted for him i was just a kid all right man some of you are older than me and i remember when i was a boy he was a peanut farmer right or something like that yeah and i remember as a boy i heard he was a peanut farmer and i thought that was the funniest thing so I started making fun of our president. My parents found out, and I got a bar of soap in my mouth, and I got grounded for two days. How many of you ever gotten a bar of soap in your mouth? Be honest. Look at all you older people. <clears throat> How many ever got grounded? Now, hopefully, some of the younger people are going, yeah, okay. See, back in the day, 
If you, my parents found out and I got in trouble for that. Now you get paid thousands to make fun of presidents, right? It's just the opposite. It seems we live in a culture that there's no more of that worthy, respect, noble. Instead, we've become more and more a vulgar and crude people. To be noble is to be filled with dignity and honor as well as worthy of respect. A person with this virtue wins respect and commends reverence, having the quality that demands respect, lofty and majestic. That's the type of word here. In fact, this word is often used in the writings of Paul when he's, they're called the pastoral epistles. This word is to be used of those who are deacons, older men, those who live a godly life. These are the noble people, and we should notice that. The life and mind of Christ leads us to be such people. We're saved by the gospel, and, that, and we are changed by the gospel, and that change must be evident in our life. And we must be thinking on noble things. This is saying the mind should be focused on majestic and honorable things. We should never be vulgar and crude in our speech, in our appearance, in our activities. We should be living for higher noble things. I've got some friends who often say some pretty vulgar things. And they all laugh and at times I'm like, don't even laugh. Don't even just do the straightest face in the world. Because that's vulgar. Don't even stoop to that level. The next word. Whatever is right. Innocent. Just. Righteous. Fair. Equitable. Just in duty. Just in doing right in responsibility. The term refers to justice and righteousness. And the fitting of God's standards on what is right. Again, what is right isn't our standards, it's God's standards. And we go to what is absolute truth right here. Here refers to the filling all one's obligations to God by we must live justly, righteously. The word is used often in Scripture, both old and new characterize God's people. Christ's redemptive work on the cross declares us right before God. That's salvation. But now, we respond by living rightly, living justly before Him, and that's the Christian walk. Our walk should be characterized by this. Whatever is right. By truth, the first word, we now know what is right and wrong and the difference. And now we live and walk in that way. All right, the next word. Whatever is pure. Pure, innocent, modest, free from contamination. The term belongs to a word group meaning pure, holy, set apart. Also, moral purity, upright. And here it refers to someone living as best as they can a blameless life. A life untainted by filth, 
or the world? How do people know you? About a month ago, I mentioned that I was applying for something and they had to do some background checks at me and I was kind of joking about it. Like, oh, you know, like if your neighbors, you know, what are your neighbors? I found out that they literally called over 20 people. We lived in Bloomer, Wisconsin for like a year. They contacted someone in Bloomer, Wisconsin. I, after I found out, I was like, man. I love how 1 Timothy 5.22 says this. Keep yourselves pure. Rather than falling into sin, we must be thinking pure, innocent, upright. Paul's calling us to fix our thoughts on things that are untainted not tainted by evil or things that can lead to moral destruction. We must be thinking and living in purity. This means that the thought life must remain centered on godly things. Again, he's not saying, look at the rancid steak. He's saying, look at this awesome, juicy, yummy, I like medium rare steak. This is so good. Think on pure things. And also, we must be pure, not just in thoughts, but in deed, and words, and as well, sexual purity. Man, our culture is getting worse and worse. In fact, I recently, about a month ago, I saw something that was like, back in, you know, the 40s or the 50s, you know, this wasn't allowed on TV, you know, whatever. And then in the 60s, this is the first time the, the, a bad guy got to be good for a moment. And, you know, they, they were so strict. But now, I can't imagine what's on TV. Now we don't even need TV. It's on your phones. We must be focused on that which is pure. Next word, whatever's lovely, friendly, grateful, acceptable, whatever is pleasing, this is, in fact, a rare term which speaks that which is agreeable, pleasant, attractive to all who see it. That which invokes love. That which invokes someone to admire something. And this could be pleasing and acceptable agreement. Like, for instance, a piece of artwork. Like, that is beautiful. A sunset. That is pleasing. This word fits for many amazing things such as classical music pieces artwork as i said here the mind seeks to that which must give pleasure and bring spiritual beauty into the lives around us and honoring god that which is beautiful the next word whatever is admirable good report honorable commendable true of highest standard not offensive for a person their life this means are you well spoken of that would be a great way to say it it refers to that which is praiseworthy that which is appealing to others that which has virtue and worthy that people admire something these are the things that people speak. In fact, if someone ever goes, well done, that's admirable. That was well done. Paul is talking about deeds and thoughts here. By their very nature, people 
when you have right thinking, then now we're moving to that part of some of the words here where people notice it. It's something they admire. And the last two are collectively summaries of the virtues that should be living in our lives. Anything that is excellent, moral excellence, virtue, upright, this sums up kind of what is good, what is excellent here, what is praiseworthy. It's excellent. Mainly, this list of virtues, this is excellent. And for Paul, it meant that spiritual and ethical excellency in the sight of God. We must live lives worthy of the gospel. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. But here's the problem. Many Christians settle for, eh, thinking they're okay, let's just get by, that's good enough. Good enough is the word today. I'll just put in my time, I'll just do my stuff. No. We must strive for excellence. God calls us to excel, to do all within our power with His grace. Again, justification is God's saving work alone. But sanctification, living a right life before God, living the Christian life, is God's grace and power combined with ours. We must live everything we can to pursue and produce the very best for God. This is not doing everything to the best in our own ability, or our own performance, man-centered. Instead, it's excellence that brings attention to God, working with God, not just on your own. All right, the next word. We're at the end here of the words. Praiseworthy. Ground or reason of, what is the reason? What is the grounds, the reason for something praiseworthy? This is the very basic term of praise and usually talks about praise of God. Here in this list of virtues, it likely means that all that we do should bring praise to God. In fact, I believe the core thing of our life is that our lives should be bringing glory, praise, fame to the name of God. As a summary quality it means that all that we are to do all that we are to think all that we are to ponder in our private life and in our public life should bring praise to jesus christ and then he ends these eight words by think on these things take a look at that think on these things think about such things reflect on them ponder them meditate dwell on these things when you have these virtues in the center of your mind we will then live and be more like christ think on these things we must think and consider carefully and reflect on these qualities to allow them to permeate our minds it's interesting that he begins with the thinking first whatever is true pure, lovely, praise. These are things we must think about. Allow them to permeate our minds and therefore then guide our lives by doing what is right. So let me pause and ask three questions. Three questions. And again, this is, this is my, one of my favorite verses and I'll explain why here. 
The key to Christ-like living begins in the mind, okay? Christ-like living begins with, of course, surrendering to God. But we must do that begins in the mind. We must think, ponder, meditate, reflect. So here's my three questions. Do you center and occupy your mind on exalted thoughts? Set your mind on things above, Colossians says. Direct your attention and energy and, and action toward these eight words. Think about these things. Do you let your mind do this? So here's one of the problems. I should have brought my phone up. My phone's in my desk somewhere. I would encourage you, there's some type of app, or I don't even know what I'm talking about here, some kind of app or program on your phone that you can, it will help you determine how much time you spend on your phone, right? Am I correct? There's some kind of things. It, every week it pops up and says, you've spent this much time or whatever. I don't know. I would encourage you, be very careful with your phone. I would encourage you, let your phone be your phone. Let your watch be your watch. I don't know. You've got all different ways. You know? Now our phone is everything. We spend so much time on social media, so much time scrolling through pictures, so much time just looking at the news, so much time on things that really, some of them are important, but probably don't amount to much. Instead, set your mind on these things. In fact, I didn't know how to do this. My daughters will help me with this. I was going to get this verse and keep it as my background. Is that what it's called on my phone or something? I don't Screen something, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. So every time I pick up my phone, I go, yeah, think about these things. Keep that the focus. Do your center and occupy your mind on exalted things. One of the greatest ways to do that is pour into this amazing book. Amen? This, oh, I'm a Bible sniffer. This is the book. Set your mind on these things. In fact, I was just recently, um, the free church, where our district, two of the main guys in the district, knew that I've had a, I've had a tough summer. They're like, Let's, Cody, you need to get out. I'm like, okay. So we went fishing. And we started talking. It was good. I was so encouraged by my mentors. And it was good. And then there, we just talked about life. And then we started talking about the importance of Bible memory. In fact, the oldest guy in the boat was like, oh, it's hard for me to memorize anymore. And I just was like, oh, I hope I don't get to that point. Memorize the word. Do you center and occupy your mind on exalted things? So here it is. This verse, verse number eight, I have it memorized in the King James. That's what I remember as a kid. Everyone should memorize this verse. So that way when things come up, you can go, whatever's true, pure, lovely. Can I? Okay. Number two. Do you give these values and virtues weight in your decision making? That's why we must memorize this verse. When we make a decision, use this verse as a grid, as a filter to say yes or no. We must evaluate on how we live and spend our money, our time, our energy, what books we read, what we put into our minds, what movies we watch, what music we listen to. Use this verse to go, yep or no. Yep, this song's not worth it. It's not pure. It's not, you know, this is all, oh, okay. So I use it in my decision making. We are to embrace things that reflect these values because they are right. And the only thing that's completely pure is right here, correct? So often I'll read books 
that aren't even fall under the Christian category. Sometimes they're classics, sometimes a fiction. But then what I do is I go, okay, what in this is pure? What in this is true? And I start looking at the positive things and pull those nuggets out. My last question, do you filter doubtful or gray areas using this biblical guidance of virtues on how you make decisions? Again, that's why I encourage you to memorize this verse. Get your phone and make it that this verse, the screen background thingy, get it in you so you always think, okay, this is my filter, especially in doubtful and gray areas. Now, the Bible doesn't cover everything. The Bible doesn't teach us how to synthesize a methylated alkaloid. I don't think anyone in this room knows how to do that. And that's okay. The Bible wasn't written to be a science manual. The Bible's written for the purpose so we can know God, know about the great salvation, and live for him giving all praise to him. So what about gray areas? What about areas that are unspoken? I use this verse as the great plumb line decision-making for me. When I'm confronted with a difficult choice, I screen, I filter it through. Philippians 4, 8, that's my main verse. I think through, okay, this, this, this. Nope, not doing it, not thinking that, not going that way. I ask this, is this true? Is it consistent with the moral principles of God's word? In fact, I'm reading a current book that is definitely not a Christian book, but there's something I go, nope, nope, oh, this is good, but no. I use this verse as a filter. Is it an honorable thing that I'm about to do? Is it right? Is it just? Is it a sort of thing that I would recommend to others? Does it encourage me to pursue excellence? Or can this lead to decay? Do I hear good and Christ-living people praising this, or is it not trustworthy? So do you use it to filter the things we don't know? And again, I love how there's no negative statements in here. One of the problems, though, and I've thought through this, and maybe I'll just do a whole sermon on legalism. As Christians, we need to protect ourselves from this world, right? Amen. There's some just nasty stuff out there, and we could go on. One of the problems is we then can get so tight and so narrow and so focused that we legalistic cut out so much stuff that doesn't need to be cut out. And then if you don't live to those standards that we, you know, in a legalistic way, and then, oh, they're not good Christians. Just stick with Philippians 4.8. Right thinking. Let's conclude with right doing. Now we must put them into practice. As they meditate on these virtues, as you have this permeating your mind, it's time to put them into action, into practice. So the thought life, verse 8, leads to a life of actions, living it out, verse 9. He uses four verbs. The first two are what you learned and received. Take a look at that. What you've learned and received. Learn refers to his teachings, his writings, and we are so grateful that we have the New Testament with Pauline writings in here. Receive refers to his passing on the traditions of the apostles, the creedal statements. In fact, we've got the great Philippians chapter 2 little old hymn, the song there. 
the great truths of the church, and the, what we receive from Jesus. The words of the Last Supper, he used the same word. What I received, I pass on to you. The next two verbs are heard from me and seen in me. Paul brought the gospel to them and lived it in their message. What they saw would be his time in Philippi, Acts chapter 16. And his model of suffering, his model of dedication to the gospel, proclaiming the good news. What they heard would not be just his teachings, but also his words on his trips when he came to visit them, when he faced persecution. Seeing and hearing his example of trusting the Lord in the midst of anxiety and persecution and his faithfulness to the Lord in hard times was extremely valuable to them. They are called to be Christ-like. And the way to do that is to pattern themselves following Christ, but also he's bold enough to say, as you've seen, heard from me, follow my example. As he followed Christ's example. This is true discipleship training. This is what Pastor Tony and I, the first year we were together, when I came here, we were together, we were like, life-on-life discipleship, how can we do that? I was modeled that by my youth pastor. He took me in. He saw I was a crazy, long-haired, mullet guy that loved Jesus. And he took me in. I was at his house almost every night. He invested into me, poured into me. I listened to him. I saw, I saw how he raised his kids. Then I had professors, both in college and grad school. They kind of were like, hey, you, let's hang out. And I was like, yes. I remember there was one professor who wrote a couple famous books. I'm like, and that fact, he's the main reason why I went to grad school. I'm like, I need to hang out with Coleman. And I got to sit with him, and he took me under his wing, and he's all right. We're going to meet at 5.30 in the morning to pray. I'm like, 5.30 in the morning? I haven't gone to bed yet. He helped me become disciplined. And then at Arrowhead Bible Camp, the main reason we went to Arrowhead Bible Camp was to do this life on life, basic discipleship, kinetic discipleship, soul discipleship. In fact, at the end there, I had two guys that were like, we just want to hang with you more. I'm like, okay. Do you like to hunt and fish? I'm just kidding. They said, you know what? Before college, we kind of talked about, so I got two guys that said, all right, before you go to college, let's spend four months, you live at our house. Sounds good to me. They lived in the camper for a while until it got cold. Life on life. So here it is, look at me. This is what you need. You need to be having the influence of older godly people following their examples. And you might go, well, I'm already old already. Who can I... Go to my office. I've got piles of my top ten. They're, they're dead and gone. Learn from them. And if you're young, grab those books. There's not many pictures too bad, but learn from them. Follow good examples. And you need to be one who is an example to others. So who are you learning from and who are you teaching? Thus, get in a small group. One of my desires, when I first got here, and I was kind of arrogant about it and, and naive, like, oh, in one year we're going to have 80% of our church in small groups. That still hasn't happened. That's okay. 
We're going to keep pushing it. Get in a small group. You're here first service. I encourage you. Second service, if you're not helping in Sunday school, go be in one of the adult discipleship groups. That's why we created those, so you can be life on life. Get in a small group. Are you being discipled? Who are the godly, Christ-like people in your life, the models that embody and live out these eight virtues? Do you have them? Find those people. Learn from them. Spend time with them. Get involved in our Sunday school. Get involved in Awana. Get involved in the nursery. Be involved in investing. As we ponder and think and meditate on these things, we give them weight to our daily decisions. And then, when we put this into practice, the peace of God will be with us. The peace of God that we have, remember the verse just before this, now He is with us and it's with us. What could we what could we possibly hope for more than the peace of God? So let me end with this. Get your mind out of the gutters. Get your mind away from this moral corrupt society that's outside of us. It's very dangerous. That's enough of the rancid steak. Instead, set your mind on things that are true, pure, right, lovely, praiseworthy, honorable. Whatever is excellent, praiseworthy, think on these things. And it begins, people, with this. In fact, I encourage you, read Psalm chapter 1 today. Oh, it smells good. Read Psalm 19. Write that one down. Psalm 19. Oh, the beauty of God's Word. Oh, it smells good. Then read Psalm 103. I could go on and on. Get into this. Be so, have your affections on the beauty of God so there's no room for sin. Be right in your thinking and be right in your doing. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, help me. Help me swallow these words. Help me digest them as I think about them, as I ponder them. And and it's it's one of my favorite verses. I already got it memorized but help it bleed from my heart to my hands. Help it bleed from my mind and my heart to my lips. Lord, we live in a society that's just trying to sway us away. We stand on the rock, the firm foundation, Jesus. And we want to be more like you. Help us be right thinking as we are right doing. This I pray in your precious name, amen. Stand and join us in our last two songs. We're going to sing.